When the world wasn't watching, they changed it forever. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is Charlie Wilson's War. Hello and welcome back to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today we are covering 2007's Charlie Wilson's War, starring... Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I did not recognize for most of the movie, and some <laughs> other people. Yeah, there's a veritable who's in this cast, like uh, Amy Adams as his executive assistant. Yep, that's right. And what I noticed on Voodoo, where we watched this, it was labeled documentary, which I thought was funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. So did you know much of anything about this movie before we watched it? this week i watched this in the theaters and i remember liking it but i actually didn't remember what it was about i remember that tom hanks was a politician who was trying to get funding for something but i actually didn't remember that it was of afghanistan oh really yeah in contrast i did not see it before i haven't seen a lot of movies before we started this podcast but i did <laughs> know the premise which was that he was arming the afghan mujahideen but i didn't know anything about him as like a character Okay. All right. So here is the IMDb summary. A drama, not a documentary, based <laughs> on a Texas congressman, Charlie Wilson's covert dealings in Afghanistan, where his efforts to assist rebels in their war with the Soviets have some unforeseen and long reaching effects, which we do not see in the movie. That's right. <laughs> I did a little bit of editorializing there, but this mm -hmm. movie has a ton to talk about and I'm very excited to discuss it. So let's get started. Yeah, so we start with like this the silhouette of a man out in the desert holding like a rocket launcher, wood, wooden flute, or some kind of instrument that, that's playing. You could describe it as like Middle Eastern music. Yeah. But yeah, all of a sudden he turns and it's almost like a James Bond gun barrel and he like fires the rocket at us. Mm -hmm. And then we get this very interesting After Effect title. Like the mm -hmm. title sequence looked like it was made on like Adobe Premiere or something. I like mean, that. it probably was back in 2007. What I'm getting is that it doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't leave any okay. taste in my mouth, bad or good. Well, it says Charlie Wilson's War and then it has fire behind it and then it turns into the flag. Nice. A giant flag a la the Suicide Squad. <laughs> and we're at CIA headquarters or perhaps some CIA site. I mean, it looked like a giant hangar. Given that there are civilians here, mm -hmm. I kind of assumed that it was like it was an offsite place that they could use and because they couldn't probably bring a lot of these people into CIA. That's true. It wouldn't be the CIA headquarters unless they were walking over the seal. That's right. the movie rule. <laughs> but yeah, they're honoring our hero. Charlie Wilson is played by Tom Hanks. Do you notice the big Charlie did it banner in the back? Yeah, I did. That was really <laughs> funny. And then later, when they come back to the scene at the very end of the movie, I don't think it was there. Or at oh, it's there. I saw it. it. I saw it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So this part, the music usually informs how you're supposed to feel, but the music did not help me understand how to feel in this part. Like, is it okay. supposed to be ironic? Am I supposed to be really happy for him? I just don't get it. I think we're not supposed to know at this point. It's, we're supposed to be like, all right, who is this guy? And... Why is he getting honored by the intelligence community? It's supposed to be a little bit confusing, but also mysterious. So yeah. I can buy that. He helped with the fall of the Soviet Empire, weaken the communist empire, and he gets the Honored Colleague Award. And it's like the first time that's op offered to a civilian. Right, which means someone who's not in the CIA. Yeah. And in the crowd is Amy Adams and Julia Roberts. And see Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, as I said, I didn't recognize him for most of the movie, so just some guy. Right. So then we get our based on a true story. <laughs> That's right. And we jump to 1980, where it's the Wolf of Wall Street, basically. <laughs> or I came up Nine. with these. Yeah. The Predator okay. of Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, the Eda of Connecticut Avenue, if you would, since it takes place in Washington, D.C. Pennsylvania only works if he was the president. Pennsylvania Avenue goes to the Capitol building. Okay, fair enough. But when you think Pennsylvania Avenue, that you, you think of the White House, not necessarily the Capitol building. Yes, that's fair. But yeah, so this is Vegas in the eighties. Thing that clued me into the that it was Vegas. I, there's like they're in this like giant suite, and there's an overlook of the Strip as it would be in the eighties. Mm -hmm. And there was a giant thing for I think it was like Wayne Newton singing, probably. Oh yeah, our buddy Wayne Newton. I remember him. <laughs> Charlie Wilson's in a hot tub with all these naked people. Mm -hmm. And some guy's trying to pitch him on a TV show. 
Which they spend a lot of time on that. They do. Yeah. It's Dallas, but set in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Which would be helpful if I knew what Dallas was about. The only I'm thing sorry, I know what? about Dallas, who shot JR? This is the only thing I know about Dallas. Oh, okay. It's like a family drama, basically. They're rich people in Texas. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's not like House of Cards then? No. Anyway, they spend a lot of time with this guy pitching it to Charlie. And I'm like, but Charlie isn't in Hollywood. He just, I guess he's a congressman who likes to party. Yeah, and they think that he might have money. And apparently he's, so the one of the girls there is, what was her name, Crystal? Yeah. She's associated with Charlie in some way. I think they sl- probably sleep together. They're not actually make that clear. I wouldn't be surprised, though. But so I think because he's associated with Crystal, the do we remember what the guy's name was? The guy who's trying to pitch the TV show? I barely even cared about this part. I didn't find oh. it especially relevant to the story. I did find it around, and we'll get to why. Yes, he's trying to pitch him on this TV show. But Charlie is distracted because he's watching the news about Afghanistan on TV. That All the rest of it is, okay, I don't care. Don't really care. But all of this is going around him, you know, hookers and blow. Mm-hmm. And what he's actually paying attention to is, is Dan Rather wearing a turban on TV. Well, the way I interpreted that, and I'm sure you probably got the same, was every day is hookers and blow for this guy, but Dan Rather on TV with a turban, that's unusual. That gets his attention. All right. So Dan Rather's talking about how he's with the Mujahideen, they're fighting the USSR, and he endorses, or perhaps not endorses, but he references the domino theory, where he's like, if the Soviets take Afghanistan, then the whole Southeast Asia could be in trouble, which is interesting, because I Mm -hmm. thought the domino theory was discredited. I mean, it may have been, but this is in the 19... I don't know when it would have been discredited. Yeah, in 1980, I suppose, post-Vietnam, mm-hmm. and I guess it's still up in the air. Yeah. So Charlie's very interested in this. He gets out, we get to see somebody's butt. Do you think it was actually <laughs> Tom Hanks's butt, or do you think Probably. he's a double? Yeah. Okay. We find out that he is a congressman from Texas' 2nd Congressional District. He realizes that the Mujahideen need weapons. And so he's figured out, okay, can I do anything about this? Yeah, he's got the cause du jour. And he's coming back because he has to vote on a resolution that's like praising the Boy Scouts. Yep. (laughs) I think that's also very real that Congress probably does all sorts of votes, either condemning something bad or praising something good. Yep. Two types, like your your bills and then your resolutions. And your resolutions Mm -hmm. are, they don't really have action items, if I recall. And they're just like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is how we feel and this is a statement kind of thing. Yep. And we get back home, and he's walking and talking with Amy Adams. And that's our first <laughs> sign that this movie is written by Aaron Sorkin. I actually didn't realize that to the end credits. Well, the quick dialogue reminded me a lot. Actually, this movie reminded me a lot of Bridge of Spies in a lot of different uh, ways. Okay. So I was like, I bet this is written by somebody. If not the <laughs> Coen brothers, then by somebody. Of course, Aaron Sorkin popularized the walk and talk in the West Wing. And Charlie's speech is full of Ted Lassoisms, as I like to call it. <laughs> I see. Dating this episode. Maybe a little bit, but you know what I'm talking about. Folksy wisdom from down on the farm back mm-hmm. in Texas. Amy Adams is his assistant, Bonnie. There's a mention of mm-hmm. Tip O'Neill here, who's the current mm-hmm. Speaker of the House at that time, and Speaker wants to put him on the Ethics Committee. And what he can get out of that is that he realized, he apparently found out that the Kennedy Center Board is appointed by Congress which I didn't know. And so he wants to be put on the board of the Kennedy Center just so he can get tickets at the Kennedy Center. Yeah, so we've gotten a very firm grasp of who this guy is, which is he's out for himself. Mm -hmm. To a degree, yes. And he enjoys the finer things in life. Yeah. We see him reading news reports from this, like, printout, uh, not from a newspaper. I didn't quite know what that thing was. Did you? I get the impression it was like a news wire, where Uh, as soon as the news gets passed on, they send it through some sort the of Congress. telegraph. Yeah, I guess not a telegraph, but something like it. Yeah, and there's apparently an AP story out of Kabul. And here's what I like wrote here: that at this point, no one knows where Afghanistan is. Like geographically, right? When he says Kabul, Bonnie is like Pakistan. No, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like Charlie demonstrates that he knows, like geographically, where all the places in the Middle East are. Yeah, so he may be a hedonist, but he's not stupid. Yeah, no, he's not. And he's not uninformed either. The thing I have is Emily Blunt waiting to see him in his office. Not just Emily Blunt, though. Her father, Larry, who's apparently a big donor, is waiting for Charlie. He notices that everyone who works in Charlie's office is an attractive young woman. Yeah, I've been to orthodontist's office like that. 
<laughs> okay. Find out that Larry's there because the ACLU is suing over a crash. Have you ever heard this term, crash? Nope. I have I've never, never heard. heard. That Apparently, it's a nativity scene. I don't understand why they couldn't just call it that. I don't know. Movie. I do like the part where they compare cowboy bootses, cowboy <laughs> boots, bootses yep. on their desk. Yep. <laughs> and Larry is like, yes, I could move this nativity scene, but it's the principle of the thing. Mm-hmm. This is America, and we're Christians here. Uh-huh. It's going to keep coming up throughout the movie, which is why I felt the need to mention it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But I also think it's interesting, this is the kind of BS that a congressman needs to deal with mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, this is especially from a donor. If they, you have someone who is a big donor, and they're going to try to make demands of you like this. Yeah, money talks. Mm-hmm. Then and now. So yeah, so Jim Van Wagenen. So he, I think he's connected to the, the like one of the committees that Charles is on. We find out that there's the budget to uh, fight against communist Afghanistan is only five million dollars, and so mm-hmm. Charlie says to bu- double it to ten million, just like that. And while he's doing it, his aide gives him some Irish coffee, which for those of you who are not in the know, it's coffee with liquor in it. <laughs> Usually whiskey. So it's pretty awesome how he can just order it and it happens. Mm-hmm. How rarely does that happen in our democracy? <laughs> so back at his place, we find out that he's sleeping with Jane, who was Larry's daughter, as you mentioned, played by Emily Blunt. Okay, so this is ridiculous because first of all, it's super weird to see Emily Blunt as like this floozy in her underwear because usually, if not every movie I've seen her in, she's been like a strong female character Hmm. from Mary Poppins to Edge of Tomorrow to some other ones that aren't... I'm going to derail my own thought with a question. So you think she's actually into him or do you think Larry sent her to sleep with him so he would side with Larry? Because either one I don't like. I think she's into him for his power and influence. Just like all the other women in his life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her father and his like, oh, you know, this is a Christian country and all that sort of nonsense. I don't think he would be sending his daughter in to sleep with the congressperson to get to make them on on his side. Well, they don't actually sleep together, though, in the scene. They're going to and then they get distracted. Hmm. Yeah. Well, right. Uh, yeah. Either way, this scene made me pretty uncomfortable, and I <laughs> wish they had cast someone other than Emily Blunt. That probably would have helped a lot. Hey, people can play different things. There, that's why it's called acting. I know, but it's super weird. <laughs> yeah. Charlie has an amazing view from his balcony. He can see Iwo Jima, the Jefferson Memorial, Arlington Bridge, the Pentagon, the Lincoln Memorial, uh, the or Washington Monument. I had to look this up because I'm like, all right, are there apartment buildings like right next to Iwo Jima? Yes, there are apparently. But on the Virginia side, there are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Iwo Jima is in Virginia. Right, but you can see it from some buildings. But it's like Virginia. where he is, is like literally right outside of it. Okay, so then yeah, you must be in Roslyn then. Yeah, no, it's in Roslyn. I, I looked at it and apparently it's, there's two potential buildings that it could be. As he, you know, he's trying to seduce Jane or vice versa, uh, he gets a mm. call from Joanne Herring, who is apparently the sixth wealthiest woman in Texas. She <laughs> knows that he said to double the covert ops budget somehow mm-hmm. and she's impressed by that and says that her friend has made a movie about american aid to afghanistan and he invites charlie to come and watch that and learn more about it and then next we go to gust avocados of avocados it sounded like avocados every time someone said it yeah this part was like suddenly we were in an episode of Mad Men because roger <laughs> from Mad Men has ah, yes. an office and john slattery <laughs> is a bunch of people typing at desks. <laughs> and the period costumes aren't quite right, but it was darn close. Well, I mean, because it's the 80s, not the 60s. Yeah, exactly. John Slattery is playing a Henry Crevely, who's the CIA director of European operations. And apparently, <laughs> they both were told that they were going, like, someone told both of them that they were apologizing to each other, but Neither of them actually wants to apologize. Apparently there was broken windows last time. Gust calls out the current CIA director for firing a bunch of first-generation agents because they thought that they weren't American enough, basically, which caught my ire. Roger says they're just barely Americans anyway. Ugh, bullshit. Just barely Americans is enough. So far be it for me to criticize Aaron Sorkin. And although the dialogue in this part is funny, Uh I feel like a lot of time is wasted. You don't need to know everybody's backstory. I feel like if you didn't, you'd be like, wait, who are these people and how come we don't know anything about them? 
I think if you introduced Gust in like the middle of an argument with Roger, he tells Roger to go fuck himself and then he breaks his window. Mm-hmm. We get the picture. We learn about his character. We don't need to know everything he's done. We don't need to know his whole resume. Hmm. I mean, this movie isn't long. No, it's less than two hours. So I guess there's room for padding. But so anyway, he breaks the window again. And on the mm-hmm. way out, he says to his secretary, how was I? And she gives him the double thumb. <laughs> Which, again, I don't know what this was supposed to mean. It's like, does everybody else not like? Probably. Division either. Okay. Anyway, so over in the CIA canteen, Gus is talking with a co-worker. Apparently, Gus has just like been stuck reading transcripts of French and German arguing over NATO office space. And his coworker's like, you know what? Why don't you come upstairs and work with me? We're, and he's like, what do you do? Killing Russians. So he's working on the Afghanistan aid. They keep bringing this up. That there's only three guys who want to kill Russians. But I'm kind of like, you'd think that would be a pretty popular thing to, people would want to do. We'll find out why later. Mm-hmm. We go to uh, Joanne's party. They're having like a auction for women, which is always awkward. Yeah, it's both racist and sexist. A twofer. Yeah. Bonnie, his executive assistant, is also there. And she's saying, what are you doing here? This is a bunch of ultra right-wing group of anti-communist fanatics. Yeah, and this is the first reference to something that I think is very relevant for the time when we're recording this, which is just after the U.S. leaves Afghanistan for the final time, where Mm -hmm. Julie Roberts' character, Joanne, Mm -hmm. says... I want to liberate the women over there because although it was only a few months ago, you may recall that women's rights in Afghanistan was a major point of discussion about what was going to happen after the U.S. left. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting parallel. Yeah. And so Joanne, you know, asks him what he thought of the movie. He's like, well, it's not going to win any Oscars. She wants to know if he's involved with the issue and he is getting there. He's willing to be convinced to help. I mean, he already has helped, but to get more involved. Something I have about Joanne is that she's condescending and she's kind of full of herself, so she's perfect for Charlie. (laughs) We should get together. So, we find out that Charlie is on both the defense and foreign ops subcommittees. The I think it was the defense, which has basically an unlimited budget. Yep. And so they go up to her room. Bonnie is, like, waiting at the bottom of the stairs with a martini. (laughs) Just drinking it, waiting for Charlie. As Charlie and Joanne have sex. Mm -hmm. But after that, she reiterates what we kind of already know she wants, which is more action on the USSR and pitches him a pretty solid plan Mm -hmm. for how to do it. Well, before that, she also wonders why the CIA isn't running what she calls a real war in Afghanistan, not like they Mm -hmm. had in other areas. Right. The plan is to go to Pakistan and meet with the president of Pakistan. And she's already arranged it. Of course, Charlie's mm-hmm. resist, resistant, and he said that his major donors are Jewish, and mm-hmm. he's not sure how they'll feel about him picking up a Muslim cause. Which is interesting. It shows that he basically will do what people pay him to do. Um, right? I wouldn't put it as bluntly as that. What he says is something like, yeah, so those are his major donors. It's not necessarily about what paying to do, but, you know, power is... <laughs> Especially political power is about having connections, really. And if you screw up those connections and you lose that money, then you can't get reelected. Mm-hmm. Something that happens in this movie a lot is you're trying to please everybody mm-hmm. and you have to juggle a lot of plates. A constant thing of pleasing one hand while compromising the other. So that's something I really liked about this movie. And then one last thing about the scene with Joanne is she's doing like her makeup and she's using a safety pin to like separate her <laughs> eyelashes. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Yeah. I was like, wow, that's way too close to your eye. It's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so next we move to this montage of Russian choppers killing Afghans, which was terrible. Yeah, war as hell. It's a combination of archival footage mm-hmm. and footage that is clearly filmed for the movie. So right, you can, tell you can the see the CGI stuff, yeah. And also just the quality of the film. Yeah. But yeah, they go around and they just strafe Afghans. Yeah, nobody can stop them. So we next go to Islamabad in Pakistan. And Charlie mm-hmm. meets with Muhammad Zia Ulhaq, who is the president of Pakistan. And when he's meeting with them, he try- they ask him, you want anything to drink? And he tries to order a whiskey. But of course, this being Pakistan, there's no alcohol <laughs> you know, in, in the uh, capital. Well, maybe in the capital, but certainly not in the presidential residence. Yeah. They tell mm-hmm. him the situation is grave. 
So unfortunately, they do kind of reiterate what we just got shown, which is that the Soviets are massacring Afghan mm-hmm. East. I guess it's worth reiterating. But what's interesting to me is that the Pakistanis are more concerned with the fact that they have too many refugees in their country. Right. Which, again, is relevant to today and mm-hmm. perhaps more to the 2010s when there was the refugee crisis in Europe mm-hmm. where they had a right. similar sentiment. Yeah, so the military advisors that he meets with are mad at him and the U.S. for not giving them weapons. They say that they want the armaments to flow through Pakistan to go to Afghanistan. Yeah, I I bet they would like that. They could take a cut of it. So the three guys were really aggressive with Charlie. It felt like he walked into like a meat grinder. (laughs) And of course, I haven't actually read the book Legacy of Ashes, but they sort of make a reference to it where they're Mm -hmm. like, Basically, we don't trust the CIA to do this correctly. Look at all your histories of past screw-ups. Mm-hmm. Pakistani president asks him to go to Peshawar to see the refugee camps. They have a chopper that they can send them just so you can actually see what the camps look like. Yeah, on their way to this camp, though, there's a lot of really nice scenery. Mm-hmm. It was like a nice yeah. place to visit. <laughs> so Charlie and Bonnie go to the camp and they see the refugees like rushing to a supply trucks, fighting over what meager supplies they actually do get. They hear a bunch of horror stories from refugees, including like children whose arms got blown off because there was bombs in, you know, the sand that looked like toys. That's right. Yeah, there's a really good zoom out shot of mm-hmm. Charlie looking at the camp and then just zooms out further and further and further and, and see further. how huge it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, still relevant to today. Uh-huh. Charlie goes back to the U.S. Embassy. He goes to see the station chief there, who is completely unhelpful. But Charlie mm-hmm. pushes through and gets actually the brief. Apparently, the helicopters are a problem. And so he's like, all right, what do you need to shoot down these helicopters? And the station chief is like, I, I don't get it. What do you mean? And he's like, no, I, like, I can get you whatever you need. Just tell me. And the ch- station chief is like, newer weapons and money would draw attention, and we don't want that. So the impression that I'm getting from this guy is that he isn't willing to put in the extra effort to figure out a way to do better. Yeah, That was the initial impression. We learned later that he actually has his own reasons mm-hmm. for stonewalling Charlie. Right, right. So mm-hmm. on the plane back to D.C., Charlie tells Bonnie a story about his neighbor who is apparently a dog killer, which this pissed me off. It's a true story. Oh, geez. Yeah, so his neighbor like didn't like all the dogs getting into, what was it, his flower beds? Sounds right. Yeah. And so what he did was he he ground up, what was it, glass and put into dog food and fed it to the next dog that came by, which happened to be Charlie's dog. And Mm -hmm. to get back at him, he, one, burned down the flower beds and then realized that wasn't enough. So I remember that his neighbor was a politician and decided to drive to the black neighborhoods to bring voters to the polls. And as he, you know, drove all of them, he said, I don't want to influence you uh, influence how you're voting but i thought you should think you should know that this the, this man intentionally killed my dog uh-huh. there were 400 something like 400 votes and he drove 91 of those voters to the polls and the his neighbor lost by 16 votes yeah these local elections pretty darn close and they're important and that's what started him on the road to being the party parted politician that he is now <laughs> yeah so he tells bonnie that he wants to see someone from the cia in his office when they land someone who's assistant direct director level or higher which does not happen there's a bit of a discussion about how they use mules to carry the <laughs> weapons yeah so gust is in that briefing about the yeah getting weapons into afghanistan Mm-hmm. and he gets sent over to Charlie's office. He brings a bottle of Talisker as thanks for doubling the Mujahideen budget. Talisker, which is a very nice uh, whiskey. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then as they're meeting and he's talking to uh, Gust about Mujahideen, Bonnie interrupts the meeting with like an, an urgent note. Then Charlie calls for Jailbait? Is that his nickname for like either one or all of his assistants? Yep, that's correct. Oh, God. What a guy. So they keep repeating over and over in this scene that $10 million isn't enough. And it's like, okay, we get it. Right. There's been multiple scenes where they've established that. You don't have to keep repeating it. And then also in this scene, there's some comedy of the assistants coming in and Gus having to leave and then vice versa. We find out that apparently the Justice Department has been doing this investigation about sex between congressmen and interns. And they've widened it now to the use of recreational drugs by congressmen and senators. 
And apparently Paul Brown, who is, yeah, that's the name of the guy who was trying to that's sell him guy, on yeah. that TV idea, says that mm-hmm. he saw Charlie do cocaine nine times. And so they're trying to draft a statement that says that he will fully cooperate, but vehemently denies these claims. Yeah, he denies everything. And Bonnie has some very helpful hindsight of like, hey, maybe you shouldn't have done that or something <laughs> like that. I don't remember exactly what she says. But it was Pretty very much helpful. That. Yeah. Also, but, interesting here is that Rudy Giuliani is the one running the task force. That's right. And in 2007, he would have been a pretty popular guy. 2007 uh, being when this movie came out. Yeah. This is where we find out that the station chief in Pakistan isn't trying to win in Afghanistan. Rather, he's trying to bleed the Russians dry. So his strategy is like, yeah, basically just keep putting Afghans in front of their line of fire until they run out of bullets. Yeah, well, they say it's like revenge for Vietnam. Vietnam, But in Vietnam, the USSR, if I recall correctly, they gave a lot more aid to the Vietnamese than $10 million. Mm, Also, this strategy relies on the Afghanis being, A, not running out of people, and B, being willing to keep fighting, though I guess they've shown that they're willing to fight for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So needless to say, Charlie disagrees with that plan, though I understand where it's coming from. Yeah. And so there's a fun part here where as they're going back and forth between the two different discussions, once Gus comes in and says, don't forget about the limo driver, Charlie's like, wait, well, how, were you listening at the door? That's a very thick door. I, I can't believe you were listening. Gus is like, oh, don't be ridiculous. I bugged the scotch bottle. Yeah, it's a moment where he's not even mad. He's just impressed. Mm-hmm. Or however the Anchorman meme goes. Because he was <laughs> mad at him for listening outside the door, but apparently bugging the scotch shocked him so much that he's no longer mad. <laughs> Gus tries to tell a story about his Zen master, but he doesn't oh, get the chance. So the I was like, are we not going to hear the Zen story? Master. I wanted yep. to hear it. <laughs> so Charlie's trying to say, there's this particular gun. It's like, is this what they need? He's like, well, I'm not really sure, the, but let's go see a man named Mike Vickers, who's a, a weapons guy. And then we yep. go to Mike Vickers, who's playing chess against four people at once in the park. And then he does Movie the thing that I know day. you don't like. He's playing Movie chess without even day. seeing the board. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. I also don't like him playing against multiple people. I mean, that is a real thing, though. I'm sure that it is, but it's such a cliche. It's like, he's smart, okay? We get that he's smart. You don't need to telegraph it, <laughs> but it's fine. So Charlie can't believe it. He's too young. He doesn't look like a Green Beret, even though we're told that he is. Or at least he used to be. And he rattles off this long list of weapons that they need. The most notable being RPGs. Did you recognize this guy? Did I recognize the actor? Yeah. I did not recognize the actor. So when this movie is set, like I was thinking about it, it's like when I was looking up some of the players involved, oh, they were also around during the Argo. And this is the basically exact same time frame as Argo. Mm -hmm. That's right. In the 80s. The guy who plays Mike Vickers is one of the, they call them the guest house residents from Argo. He's one of the uh, embassy workers who got stuck in the Canadian uh, ambassador's residence. Right, yeah, they were also generic looking. I wouldn't be able to tell (laughs) one of them if they walked into the room right now. When I saw him, I was like, he's familiar from something. What is he? And then I clicked, oh, he was an Argo. Okay, that makes sense. Just looked like a white guy to me. Mike actually wrote an entire report about all the weapons that they would need, and if Charlie read it, he would be the first one. Nobody's uh, paying attention to this issue. Yeah. Gus says that everything in that report will probably take about $40 million. And Charlie's like, don't worry, I can take care of it. And Gus is like, incredulous, like, how are you going to take care of this? We find out that apparently for black appropriations, uh, black ops appropriations bills, the, mm-hmm. the entire Congress has to vote on it, but it's a blind vote. So they don't actually know what they're voting on, which is this right. true? I did not know this is true. Yeah. I mean, sure, it's a black budget. That's a, definitely a thing. <laughs> The people in the know know. Like yeah, the, people the, the on the various subcommittees now. So you have to take their word for it that it's not being misused. Here's the interesting thing we find out about Charlie. Charlie's district is basically the only one which doesn't want anything. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to have their guns and low taxes, but nothing else. And so mm-hmm. what Charlie can do with that is he can do a lot of favors. So he can vote yes on stuff and get IOUs from people. And basically has a lot of power if he calls in all those favors which I thought was fascinating. wanted to say something about the weapons before this scene ends, which is one of the ones he doesn't mention is Stinger missiles. Why is this? It's because the weapons have to look like they were captured from the Soviets, so mm-hmm. there's U.S. deniability. Yep. So how yep. are they going to accomplish this? Well, he has a friend who is an arms dealer in Israel who they're going to go meet. Mm-hmm. So they go to Israel, they meet uh, Zvi Rafia. 
yeah, something like or Rafia maybe. And you can tell it's Israel because there's the Dome of the Rock right uh, there. Yeah, I didn't do yeah. But yeah, so and, they want Zvi to help move Israel towards working with Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, and Pakistan on this. And we find that Israel apparently has the largest stockpile of Soviet weapons or confiscated yeah. Soviet weapons. Which I didn't know. That's right, from the Yom Kippur War. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. He basically has the, the Rick and Morty meme of the, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> well, he does need a little bit more convincing than that. Yeah. He makes the point that a lot of the weapons they're going to were be people who tried to kill him. Yeah, yeah he does mention that, yes. At one point, Gust says, some of those people were trained in the U.S., I didn't understand what he was talking about. Well, he said the people who tried to kill me were trained in Saudi Arabia, but the Saudis are trained by the U.S. So I guess it's like... I think it was uh, Gus just basically trying to piss them off. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, I, I don't know the specifics of it, but the way he said it, again, the, Gus has that very sardonic, dry humor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but eventually he gets convinced that he's going to do it, but now they mm. need to talk to the Egyptians. So they go to Cairo, and apparently Charlie has a belly dancer friend who will be performing for the Egyptian defense minister while they are going to be talking to the deputy. And did you recognize the right. deputy? He did look familiar, but I don't know exactly who he was. He is the first Iron Man, the, what's his name? Ho Yinsen, or Dr. Yinsen, the guy who's in the cave <laughs> oh, with yeah. Iron Man. There's a lot of MCU like <laughs> actors here, because you got him, you got John Slattery, who's Tony Stark's dad. Mm-hmm. A few others, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the belly dancer looks like a hotter version of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. <laughs> okay. Fans of and, Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus will be like, what? I don't understand. Okay, go watch it and see if you agree with me. Um, and the deputy minister at first comes off like this religious fanatic. He's like, mm-hmm. the enemies of Islam will hang their skulls by their trees or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because Egypt is a secular country and certainly in 1980... The regime mm. was the secular one, too. But I guess secular is relative. Mm. And they almost get into like a religious fight with Zvi. Yep. But Charlie very wisely just sort of brushes past it. And then Gus starts asking, are you able to manufacture all these things? And makes a list of different stuff, including yeah, uh, not just weapons, but also what was it? What was, I don't remember what the term he used, but, but things for like bike bombs and other stuff. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. all sorts of very esoteric things that most people would not think of that you need to fight an insurgency, but he did. And yeah, so, and he agrees and says, yes, we can do all this. So on the plane back to DC, so my note here says, this is like the widest plane set I've ever seen. Like, this is definitely (laughs) not a real plane. It is way too wide, even in business class, and I've been in business class, it's too wide of aisles and, you know, it took me a second to even realize that it was supposed to be a plane. <laughs> supposed to be an airplane? Are you yeah. sure it wasn't just one of those giant jumbo jets? Even still, like, that's just, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculously, like, wide between the aisles. Even, yeah, no. <laughs> anyway, so Gust reveals that Zvi is Mossad and then warns Charlie about Joanne and the, how she's framing this as a religious war. And that's going to raise the eyes of the wrong people. Yeah, the Jews and the Muslims are probably not going to like that. Also, the part about him being Mossad reminded me, do you remember in like the third episode of Burn Notice or something, they go Mm -hmm. up against these arms dealers? Okay, so there's a part where one of the bad guys, they have him under surveillance, and he has a desert eagle. Okay. Michael's like, he has a desert eagle, he's Mossad. This is just (laughs) keeps getting better and better. And I was like, people other than Mossad agents can use desert eagles. (laughs) Ask anyone who's played Call of Duty. Oh, boy. But the thing is, like, Zvi being Mossad almost doesn't actually matter. No, not really. It doesn't end up affecting the story. So, I don't know. I think it's more just to show off that uh, Gust is good at his job and does the research on everyone. Yeah, there's layers within layers within layers. Mm -hmm. Charlie talks with the Pakistani president about the deal. uh, The Pakistani president is in Houston for a fundraiser that Joanne is hosting. And... Mm -hmm. The president makes a big deal about how this has to remain secret. He asks Charlie, is this all above board? He's like, no, actually, I'm probably very close to violating, if not already having violated the Logan Act. And so Mm -hmm. Joanne makes this big speech introducing the president of Pakistan. And like one of the things she mentioned is that Zia, the president, did not kill Bhutto, which is his predecessor. This is not to be confused with Benazir Bhutto, who is a Pakistan prime minister who was assassinated in 2007. Hmm. Okay. Which is not when this movie was set. It's a yeah. different Budo. <laughs> yeah. 
Charlie disappears after the introduction and Joanne finds him at a bar. Charlie tells Joanne to dial down the religion, which she's like, uh, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, she's basically like, we got God on our side and I'm not going to be silent about it, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. So we go to a briefing at Langley, which Mike is leading. He, they say that they want to concentrate on just getting, you know, 150,000 troops trained, get them trained in irregular warfare. But to do that, Charlie needs to get the support of the committee chair, whose name is Doc Long. We knew this. Like he said a long time ago, relatively speaking, in the movie that they need a doc to go along with it because all you need is the committee chairman and everybody else in the committee will follow. Okay? What we don't know is that he's resistant. We didn't get the idea that he, it was going to be hard to get him on his side. Turns out that it's not that hard. Eh, it's hard. Well, so it starts off as hard. Like, he's very resistant. And he brings up there. Mm-hmm. there's this blind girl in Pakistan who got raped. And mm-hmm. there was one witness. But apparently in Pakistan, you need four witnesses. And so because of that, the rapist went free. And the blind girl is in prison for fornication. He says that story is part of making a larger point, which is that these weapons are being not only passed through, but to people who don't share U.S. values. And he's worried about the consequences of that. So it Mm -hmm. seems like history actually vindicated Doc, not so much Charlie Wilson. Well, we'll see. Well, that's the larger question that this movie brings up is... Well, I guess we'll talk about when we get to the Zen Master story, because that's that's the best illustration. That's why I said, we'll see. Okay. Joanne will get Doc on board if Pakistani president pardons the blind girl who got raped. And so mm-hmm. we don't see it, but I assume he does because they all end up flying to Pakistan together. Before that, it's party time. Yeah, so Joanne <laughs> flies into D.C. She goes to a bar with uh, all of Charlie's staff and Gust, and Gust and Joanne meet for the first time. And as you yeah. know, they're meeting, Charlie gets a call from Stu, who is like one of his media contacts. We find out that the investigation is over. Crystal only, you know, reported seeing him do cocaine one time outside of DOJ jurisdiction. So it's all over. doesn't matter. Yeah, apparently that getting out is fine. As long <laughs> as he doesn't go to prison, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's funny. I thought that it's, it's like a party when there's like five people. <laughs> but I guess if four of them are hot chicks, then it's a party anyway. <laughs> There's also a conversation between Gust and Joanne. They're not getting along. Gust denies being CIA. He says he's part of the Department of Agriculture. <laughs> she clearly doesn't believe him. And mm-hmm. he says he doesn't like people who have too much time on their hands getting involved in politics, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because it's a little bit elitist. Oh. Well, it's like a kind of deep state thing. Like, yes, it's true. He's in the know and Mm -hmm. she's not. But that doesn't mean she can't try to get involved and try to help. I mean, this is still a free country. I think it's more the thing of that she has a lot of money and could push around whatever she thinks is the right thing. And that's what he doesn't like, really. Yeah, I think that might be a better way of looking at it. Where Who who have too much time, who are trying to get involved. It's more that she has so much money that she can influence anything, really. And she tells people what to do. Like, it's mm-hmm. one thing to identify it's other. Pro- it's one thing to identify a problem. It's another thing to actually try and solve it without knowing what's going on. Yeah. On her okay. way out of the bar. Oh, right. This. Joanne looks at the assistants and calls them a nasty name for loose women, which <laughs> I thought was very uncalled for mm-hmm. and hypocritical coming from her. Yeah. No, it was uncalled for. <laughs> Back at the refugee camp, we have Doc and Joanne and Gust and Charlie all there, and also Doc's wife. And Doc is very moved at talking to all the different refugees. And at this point, mm-hmm. Joanne moves in for the kill and says, They've been waiting for a man like you to help them save them. And Doc makes some remarks. We find out apparently his, uh, what was it, his son was injured in Vietnam by a bomb. It's called Wounded. Injured is where you fall out of a tree or something. Okay. He's wounded <laughs> by a bomb. And he, of course, brings religion into it as well. And we see him saying Alu Akbar, which I thought was like, whoa, interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. But of course, in 2007, this would be very reminiscent of the religious right was really strong at the time. And a lot of George W. Bush and his administration, the way they would talk about the war on terror had a lot of religious overtures and that mm-hmm. I'm sure I don't need to remind you about that. Maybe some right. younger people might not remember, but I definitely think that's what the movie was going for with this. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So next we go to a montage of more Soviet choppers. This one looked like mostly archival footage. I don't think there was anything recent in this bunch. And we find out that it's like a newscast that Charlie was watching in his apartment. And he's like coughing a lot. I was unsure if that was like hinting it towards something. Yeah. In movies, nobody ever just has a cough. Right. It always means they're dying. So we get more of a montage where Charlie's making more trips to Pakistan. He's getting more info from Gus and Mike, what the Mujahideen need. And he's like sending appropriation requests to Doc. Charlie's calling in favors from other people saying, you know, if you vote on this, I can get you the Black Caucus to vote on the way you want on that bill. And then we finally see the Mujahideen shoot down one of their choppers and then two more. Yeah. So basically things are escalating in every Mm -hmm. sense of the term. More violence, more money, more weapons, which in turn leads to more violence. Mm Mm-hmm. We see Bonnie walking down the hallway, bringing a note to Charlie saying that they shot down the three. Another montage and brings us up until Christmas of 1988 or 87. I don't remember which one of the two. The station chief from Pakistan is complaining to Gus Boss, the one played by John Slattery. <laughs> and is saying, well, you know, he's getting things done. And I'm pretty sure in Mad Men, this actor also dresses as Santa. <laughs> okay. So that was funny. Yeah, eventually it gets up to $250 million. Yeah, that's where I was getting to. And gets higher. And they make the point that it's just a good investment <laughs> to kill the Russians. Yeah. And so Joanne gets a call from Charlie. Apparently she's on her honeymoon. I didn't realize she wasn't married before that point. He does call her Miss something. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, so we find out that the final number is $500 million. Every dollar of that is matched by the Saudis. So that's $1 mm-hmm. billion dollars that is going to the Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? Right. Well, you see a little bit of vulnerability from Charlie here, where he says that he misses Joanne. It actually seems to mean it. Like he's mm-hmm. red around the eyes, which I thought okay. was interesting. Yeah. Charlie is at his re-election party. We find out that yeah, so he won his re-election. Doc lost his election. But the new head of the defense committee is someone that owes Charlie a favor because he was a final vote on his ethics committee approval. Then almost fast forward to the end of the war in Af- Afghanistan with the Soviets. And the Soviets are retreating across the bridge. And we see Charlie, Gus, and Joanne celebrating at a party. We also see Charlie wearing tribal clothes on All a right. horse. Yep. With the tribesmen, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Soviets leaving is reminiscent of the US leaving. There's even a part where they show the last Soviet soldier like going over the border mm-hmm. in a armored personnel carrier this time and not a plane. But the mm-hmm. feeling is similar. Right. Yeah. And there's even a part where the newscaster says the era of Soviet military intervention is over. <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> Well, did it remind you of President Biden saying the era of nation building is over? It's probably unlikely anyone will remember this because it was back in August of 2021. But Biden was like, the era where we try to nation build with our military is done. Mm-hmm. So that was a interesting parallel to this. This is where we finally get the story of the Zen master and the little boy. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? I didn't write it down. Did you write it down? I will summarize, basically, things happen that seem bad or good, but as time passes, there's unforeseen consequences for those things. So, like, the little boy breaks his leg, which seems bad, but then he doesn't have to go to war, which seems good, but then maybe something bad happens later. Yeah, the phrase that the the Zen master keeps saying is, we'll see. Yeah, it reminds me of my parents asking if I could uh, get something from them when I was a kid. That was Which is well, anyways, yeah. The reason that's the reason I'm bringing it up is because I said earlier when you said we're saying something about it, this is all gonna be different. Right. I said we'll see. Mm-hmm. It's like if you didn't get the point of the movie, there it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess they'll reiterate it a few more times as well. Yeah. So Gus tells Charlie that they need to start building the infrastructure and getting the money and jobs into Afghanistan, and he gives mm-hmm. them this. He said it's a code word classified NIE. I didn't know what that abbreviation meant. NIE. It means National Intelligence Estimate. Oh, okay. The intelligence apparatus works together to make a prediction Mm -hmm. about something, in my understanding, producing a report on a situation in a certain area. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah. So the report says that the, what in Gust's words, the crazies have started rolling into Kandahar. Which they did, of course. Mm-hmm. Like basically, like listen to what I'm telling you. You know, make sure we get this funding. 
which is good because it shows he actually cares about the Afghan people and mm-hmm. not just hurting the Soviets, unlike right. some people I can think of. Right. Speaking of those people, Charlie mm-hmm. goes to his committee and he's even just trying to get a million dollars for a school in Afghanistan. And he's getting all this massive mm-hmm. pushback from them and saying, what do we care? You know, that's not our country. And I saw the president the other day and he said, Afghanistan, that's still happening. Right. None of the money that he was trying to get, apparently, did he get any of it. So the infrastructure or anything that they needed to actually stabilize the country, was none of it was received. Mm-hmm. And then we flash forward to the, our opening scene, which was that, that ceremony. And right. him getting the, the honored colleague medal and right. with a sort of you know, wistful look on his face. Circumstances are now different. It feels much more melancholy. Mm-hmm. The scene before, he looked sad, probably because he thought about the people in Afghanistan. We're going to continue to suffer now just under a new oppressor, not mm-hmm. the old one. And finally, we get a quote by him where he said, <laughs> we did what we did, but we screwed up the end game. So the exact the quote rest, is, these things uh, happened. They were glorious and they changed the world. And then we fucked up the end game. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So. One thing I wanted to say that I forgot to mention, mm-hmm. when the part where they shoot down the three helicopters, the Afghanis fire it, and then when it connects, they like can't believe it. They're like so excited. Right. They're so happy. Which was interesting because it's, it's an exciting moment in the context of this movie, but it's melancholy because you can imagine the exact same people doing the exact same thing, having the exact same reaction, except they're firing on Americans. Right. It's ready for some spy facts versus fiction. Sure. So this movie is based on a book, but I did not have time to read it. But Mm -hmm. there was a lot of articles written about it because it was such a famous movie. So we got the real life story behind Charlie Wilson's war. And Charlie Wilson's war was unlikely but true, both from NPR. The fog of Charlie Wilson's war by The Guardian. Congressman Charlie Wilson's real story on ChasingTheFrog.com and Wikipedia. Okay. So the short version is the vast majority of things in this movie were true. Oh, okay. okay. According to Martin Frost, a former Texas congressman, if anything, the movie toned down Charlie's lifestyle. <laughs> okay. In real, he was even more flamboyant, but all the details were right. On the other hand, in his 2011 book, Afghansty, a former British ambassador to Russia describes the film as amusing, but has only an intermittent connection with historical yeah. reality. But then I'm like, well, what would a British ambassador to Russia know? Mm-hmm. So Charlie really did get on the ethics committee in exchange for a Kennedy Center board seat. <laughs> okay. But he was also involved in a drunken hit-and-run accident just before his first visit to Pakistan on DC's Key Bridge. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty shitty, but nobody yeah. was hurt. And Wilson's admirers point out it's a good thing he wasn't caught that night since the whole thing could have screwed up his whole plan. Right. One of the articles pointed out that he was talking about how his people didn't want anything besides low taxes. That's mm-hmm. not really true. They said uh, he gave good services. He took care of their social security and their Medicare. Okay. Yeah. And made the larger point that he was a domestic liberal, but who was hawkish on foreign policy. So mm-hmm. he had a strong civil rights record, pro labor, pro choice district was hmm. conservative. The reason why he's able to get away with that was because he was all about fighting the Soviet union, which they <laughs> loved. Okay. So, that was interesting. They mentioned the Iran-Contra scandal at one point in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about the Iran-Contra scandal in a previous episode. The reason why this was different was because there was a law saying the U.S. couldn't help the Contras, which right. the Reagan administration circumvented. There was no law for this. Mm-hmm. Gust and Joanne were real people. Oh, yeah. Okay. The real life Joanne did not like how she was portrayed in the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, why would she? <laughs> well, quote, I didn't like the cursing, the drinking, the blatant sex. They turned me into a kooky, hypocritical tart, <laughs> she says. But she mm-hmm. did wear sexy dresses because, quote, that's the only way anyone would listen to me. Even Christ liked to have a good time. <laughs> okay. Because it's true. It, she's so Christian, but then she sleeps with Charlie. Mm-hmm. I thought that was weird. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, a hypocritical religious person? Will wonders never cease? (laughs) Anyway, the PFM1 landmine, or the butterfly mine, Mm -hmm. is small, plastic, and looks like a toy bird or butterfly. It's usually painted green, and it's sensitive enough to be triggered by a child, according to ForgottenHistory.me. So that was true. 
I, I do wonder if some of the Soviet atrocities may have been exaggerated, but I don't want to be an apologist for the Soviets, so no comment on that. All right. Gust started the plan before Charlie was involved. He traveled to Egypt to obtain bicycles and wheelbarrows that were rigged as bombs and purchased sniper rifles, although it was illegal for him as a member of the CIA to sell the rifles to the Afghanis because they're mm-hmm. foreigners. Right. So instead, he said, I'm not selling weapons. I'm selling, quote, individual defense devices. <laughs> okay. And long-range night vision devices with scopes. Hmm. Not guns with devices. Also, the UK and China provided the Afghanis with weapons. The real-life Gust did tell his boss to fuck off twice, but there's no evidence <laughs> that he ever poked any windows. Oh. Dan Rather and the hot secretaries were real. They were known as Charlie's Angels. Uh-huh. There's a pic of them on the internet posing with, like, guns. Uh-huh. I'll see if I can try to find it for our social media. <laughs> okay. A quote about how you can teach them to type, but you can't teach them to do other things in the movie. Mm-hmm. Charlie really said that. But Bonnie was a man in real life, which yeah. is to say his administrative assistant was right. a man. The Logan Act is a U.S. federal law that says you can't perform negotiations if you're unauthorized to do so. Mm-hmm. When there are foreign governments having a dispute with the United States, it wasn't clear to me whether he was authorized or not. Probably not. <laughs> Probably doesn't have permission, but he wasn't forbidden. Yeah, so. yeah. And finally, a few inaccuracies. Wilson actually needed some time to warm up to the idea of Stinger missiles, and he only changed his mind when he saw how effective they were. The U.S. Mm-hmm. started supplying Stingers in 1987. Hmm. Wilson went to meet Zia in Islamabad, not wearing a suit. He actually wore a Stetson and cowboy boots. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. The, the combined effect of which made him appear nearly seven feet tall. <laughs> Gust and Charlie did not meet on the same day he found out he was being indicted. Oh. Charlie Wilson's biography reveals that he and Joanne were dating in 1980, and for a short time they were engaged. Oh. That's not so, anything mentioned. No, it's not. But it's an explanation for why she would have more influence over him mm-hmm. than just sleeping with him once. Right. The movie, my sources felt, they gave too much credit to Charlie. Ronald Reagan was involved. He even gave the order to send the stingers. Okay. So the part where the president was like, Afghanistan, what's that? I have Alzheimer's is not really true. That was at the end of the war. So it could the, have been true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was saying... It wasn't the what's that? It was the is that still going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And then finally, you probably may have heard this already. Originally, the film was going to end with footage of the 9 11 attacks. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, Tom Hanks was uncomfortable with that. And I also felt like it would have been too obvious. As obvious as panning over to the towers at the end of Munich. That would make Munich look subtle by comparison. (laughs) Yeah. But Tom Hanks didn't like it, so they took it out. And I am fine with that. And that is it for Spy Fact versus Fiction. All right. So now it is time for our favorite quotes. It's a Sorkin movie. There's a lot of good quotes. Would you <laughs> like to go first? I've got a few. So I like his description of the vote he has to go back for. Well, it's a non-binding resolution expressing the sense of the Congress that the Department of Defense should continue to exercise its authority to support the Boy Scouts of America. Mm-hmm. And they should. Also, uh, from Gust, when he's arguing with his boss, he said, well, I'd like to take a moment to review the several ways w- which I think you're a douchebag. <laughs> Last one from Joanne. Uh-huh. So unless I'm wrong, and that would be unusual for me, you sit at the intersection of the State Department, the Pentagon, and the CIA. You meet in a soundproof room underneath the Capitol, and you preside over a secret and unlimited budget for the, the three agencies you would need to conduct a covert war. Isn't that right? It's interesting how he's not well known. And he also had all this power and wasn't choosing to use it. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting commentary on the system. Tim, what do you got? So I have a few. I like when he says, why is Congress saying one thing and doing another? Tradition, tradition mostly. mostly. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that'd be the kind of one you would like. He tells the whole story about overthrowing this town councilman. And he says, Mm -hmm. and that's the day I fell in love with America. (laughs) But my favorite quote of them all is when he's talking to the Pakistanis, ask for whiskey, and they say, there is none. He says, bet a lot of people make that mistake. And President Zavi is just like, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now it is time for our ratings on a scale of one to ten martinis. One being... The Avengers 1998 and 10 being a movie we have not yet covered. How would we rate Charlie Wilson's war? Would you like to go first? How am I going to rate this? So I, 
I en- I remember enjoying this movie the first time I saw it. I think maybe now with everything going on now, it's mm-hmm. I enjoy it a little bit less. Just I'm mean, not that it's a bad movie, but it's just very relevant to what's going happening in you know the time that we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just all of everything around the Mujahideen and. So I, we didn't really talk about sort of, you know, what what, you know, some of them became, which is eventually the Taliban. I thought it was fairly common knowledge, but I guess maybe not. Well, do, yeah. do you want to talk about like the, the general point the movie's making? Because I realize we haven't talked about it. Sure. Yet. Let's talk about that now. Yeah. So the, the point the movie is making is that and it's true that in foreign policy, your choices between shitty and shittier. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? And. I, I don't really love the term blowback because to me, it seems like it's a sort of a fancier term for blaming the victim. But the idea is that when countries get involved around the world, there are unforeseen consequences of their actions. Now, the way this movie makes it sound is that like Charlie just shouldn't have done it. Like the impression I got was that, okay, yes, he did all these things and you know maybe it was needed showing off his power. But then when it came to it for the actual nation building and putting in all the infrastructure, which, you know, is only in like the last five minutes of the movie, that mm-hmm. all that power is gone because the Russians aren't a threat anymore and that they don't care about, you know, what happens to the country afterwards, which I thought was a very relevant point. And, and I'm wondering, all right, how would our world have changed if the U.S. and Congress and everyone else had actually said, all right, you know, let's put in this money. We spent a billion dollars to actually take down the Soviets there, even a fraction of that had mm-hmm. gone to Afghanistan to rebuild afterwards, you know, how much different our world would be now. I mean, maybe. Um, yeah, it's, it's a what if, we don't know. But I thought the movie was well done, enjoyable, and, you know, give you a background on something that maybe a lot of people, especially at that time, didn't know about. And so I'm going to give it a solid seven. I think your take on the point the movie was making was correct, which is to say more accurate than what I thought they were doing. So I think okay. you were right there. So I really liked it. And I mm-hmm. think I really liked it for the exact opposite reason that you did. I really okay. liked it because it was so relevant. Okay. Because it took on the large questions mm-hmm. of when you're at a moment in history and all you can do is look at the enemy that's in front of you and you can't think about what the future holds because, because today is not tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And who knows what'll happen then? True. Yeah. It's the benefit of hindsight. So like Michael Collins for the same reason. I know I keep bringing Michael Collins, but it Actually, brings up the, the first large... time you've brought it up in a long while. You brought uh, up night and day and much more you brought up Michael Collins. Okay. So briefly, but Michael Collins also takes on these large questions. Was mm-hmm. what he did justified? Did it all right. turn out okay? Could it have gone better? And how? A lot of these spy movies that are based on a true story is people talking to each other mm-hmm. and this movie was a lot of people just talking to each other i mean but it, it is was a really movie right but it was really engaging okay. i think the really good characters a lot of different locations reminded us of the stakes a lot with the mm-hmm. action i thought it was really good it was also based on a true story and there were a lot of hot women in it that boosts it i will give it an 8.5 all right all right because I did bring it up earlier, Argo, set in around the same time period. Mm-hmm. It's got less of the Hollywood angle than that, But because I, I didn't remember this movie from seeing it the first time. Like I remember mm-hmm. I enjoyed it the first time, but I didn't remember. I was like, is there more of a Hollywood angle in that? Because they bring it up very briefly with Joanne's, mm-hmm. you know, her friend who is making a movie. So I was like, oh, maybe there is, but I, like, I just misremember that. So how do you compare the two of those? Well, as you may recall, I didn't like Argo that much ah, because right, it right. was so inaccurate. Ah, where it okay. mattered okay. whereas this movie was very accurate from my mm-hmm. understanding in the background reading and that helps a lot too okay interesting yeah anything else nope that's it yeah all right well thank you for joining us here on the spy fi guys you can find us on social media at the spy fi guys on facebook twitter and instagram until next time i'm zach and i'm christian and we are the spy fi guys signing off Thank you for listening to The Spy-Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Look 
theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.